Well, hey everybody, welcome again to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek, and if uh, this is your first time connecting with us, I'm so glad you've chosen to do so. It's a great time to connect with the Vineyard, and so I hope to meet you sometime, and I hope this time is beneficial for you. Uh, we're going to continue a series, but before I do that, I want to make this uh, announcement to you. We're going to be creating a, a Christmas Eve uh, worship gathering via video. Uh, we won't do it on Zoom like we do with a lot of our other gatherings. It'll just be posted to our YouTube page and our uh, website. But Christmas Eve, the 24th of December, uh, beginning first thing in the morning, the, the content will be available. If you want to have a gathering with your uh, your own family or your uh, the house that you gather with, you can feel free to do that at any time. We're going to make it available, like I said, first thing in the morning. I know some of the homes are planning on doing a brunch or something for Christmas Eve, but we would love to create a, a just a space for you to to, to put yourself in the, the celebration of, of the birth of Jesus. And so that's going to happen December 24th. So you can be on the lookout for that. You can plan for that. Um, and, and we really hope you join us. Uh, so with that, I want to just begin. I wonder if you've ever had the experience of trying out for something that you really wanted and then not being selected. Like, have you ever had that experience you really wanted and not being selected? Uh, I had this experience when I was uh, in middle school. Um, I was trying out for the basketball team. I know you look at me and you think basketball player. That's, that's what he is. He's a basketball player. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> but I, I tried out for the middle school basketball team. And I don't know if it was something about like, you know, just wanting to be like the lore of being on the team or the jersey or I don't know. There was something about it. So there was this two-day tryout to be on the middle school basketball team. And so it was an open tryout. You could go, you know, you didn't have to be invited. And so I went to the tryout, went to day one. I've learned a couple of things. The first thing I learned was that I didn't have the ability to like dribble the ball between my legs. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it to save my life. Uh, I sort of figured out the behind the back dribble, but really wasn't very good at that either. The second thing I learned was that I can't do a layup, or at least at the time, couldn't do a layup with my left hand. So apparently, dribbling between your legs and doing a layup with your left hand were things that were required to be part of the team, the Plaza Pacers. And so after the end of uh, day one, they posted uh, the invitations for day two. And of course, I looked at the sheet and my name wasn't on it. And what was worse is I had friends whose names were on the sheet and I felt rejected. I sort of felt like an outsider. Like all of a sudden I had these friends, but we really couldn't be friends anymore because I was the outsider. I wasn't on the team. And maybe you felt this way. I mean, maybe you've tried out for something. Maybe you were like the last one picked at, at dodgeball in gym class. Or, or maybe you tried out for a choir or you tried out for the band and you just didn't make it. But you had friends who did. Or maybe, maybe this is your experience at your workplace. You know, things aren't great. You see things that are done that are wrong, but you just feel powerless to change them. Or, or maybe you've just seen injustices in places and you still, you feel powerless to change the injustices, I think all of us, if we look at the pandemic, right, don't we sort of feel powerless to change the trajectory? All of us at some turn have, have felt this, this sense of powerlessness or of, of, of being the outsider. 
You know, we began this series uh, a few weeks ago for the season of Advent. Advent is the four-week season leading up to Christmas. And, and, And so in Advent, we join with the Israelites in longing for our Messiah. And so we who are followers of Jesus, we remember that Jesus has come and and we look for his return. And so this season of Advent is us posturing ourselves to remember that Christ was born, even as we look forward to his return. And so we've titled this series, How Long? And I think especially in the midst of this season in 2020, that's an appropriate title, isn't it? How Long, O Lord? Will it be before you come and you make all things new again? Today, we're going to look at how the gospel brings peace to all by lifting the powerless. And so I'm calling this message, How Can I Have Peace? So let's pray before we open God's word. Would you join me? And so, Lord, we do welcome you into this time. And God, we say that we need you in the midst of all the chaos in our lives and all the chaos in this world, God, we need you. Jesus, we need you. We feel powerless. We need you. Lord, would you put your words in my mouth, enable me to speak as I should. And God, would you put power on this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you just turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. And so here's what we read. Luke 2, beginning of verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, if you grew up in and around the church, you probably recognize this story immediately, right? It's an essential part of the Christmas story. But it's not just church people who recognize this story. You know, if you've ever watched on ABC, or anywhere for that matter, a Charlie Brown Christmas, have you ever watched that? It's the the passage of scripture that Linus goes out onto the stage and he drops his blanket and he reads this story. Right after Charlie Brown says, is there anyone who can tell me what Christmas is all about. You know, this story is fairly common, at least beginning in the mid-60s when the Charlie Brown Christmas came out, that even if you weren't a Christian, you were familiar with this story. But I wonder if you've ever considered why this story is included in Luke's gospel. Like, if you read the story... It's the only place in the Bible where you'll find this. It's not in Matthew. It's not in Mark. It's not in John. 
It's the only place Luke includes it for a purpose. And on the surface, it doesn't really give us anything new, right? There's no essential information about Jesus that you can't find somewhere else. And in fact, the characters in the story don't even stay in the story. Once they get to to verse 20 of this chapter, they disappear. Basically, they hear this this account or this exchange. They go, they find the baby, they tell Mary and those around how they got there, and then they leave praising God. That's kind of the end of their period in the story. So they're sort of insignificant characters in a seemingly insignificant story that really doesn't alter the trajectory of the Gospel of Luke. It really seems to be insignificant. Why is it here? Why is this in here? Why is it in the Charlie Brown Christmas? You know, I think so much of the shock of Scripture gets lost on us because we don't know the context. We don't know what the world was like in the first century. You know, in the first century, go with me here. I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture, or at least try. Uh, In the first century, the the dominant world power was the Roman Empire, and, and they were ruled by Caesar Augustus. Now, in the Roman Empire... People would worship the Caesar as Lord and Savior. And so at this point in in the Roman Empire, they had achieved what they called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And the Pax Romana was a declaration that finally, after all this time, Rome was at peace. After all the battle, all the nations that we've waged war against have been overtaken and now finally we've conquered them and colonized and there's peace across the Roman Empire. And each nation that was conquered now had a Roman governor and uh, or overseer and Roman culture and especially Caesar worship as Lord and Savior was now being spread throughout the Roman Empire. And this would be proclaimed by evangelists, by heralds who would go around saying, good news, the peace of Rome, good news. But this is what was going on. So peace in the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana, came as a top-down conquering by military might and constant government suppression of any who would seek to overthrow it. It was peace by threat. And in Judea, this story, uh, where this particular story takes place, this is one of the nations that was being governed by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had defined social classes. And, And really what it took to be valued highly in the Roman Empire is wealth, power, and ownership of land. These were the things that made you have a higher value in society. And so, Uh, The more of these things you had, the higher your value in society. And justice in the Roman Empire was really a measure of power. So in the Roman Empire, if you had the means, you could make your own justice. So the more power you had, the more you could tip the scales in your favor. So the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, it was good news for some. But for those without status, the Pax Romana was not good news. If you're lower status, the Pax Romana would be bad news. You would not get justice. 
And certainly in Roman culture, people like the shepherds in this passage were near the bottom of the social hierarchy. But it's not just Roman culture that puts shepherds at the bottom. It was that way in Jewish culture. In Jewish culture, they were also seen as low-class outsiders. You know, when the Jews were, were nomadic people early on in the Old Testament, basically everybody was a shepherd. But as soon as the Jews got land and they were able to accumulate status and wealth, Those with the means to do so went into agriculture. They had homes, they had families, and they, they were into farming and growing to provide for their families. But here's the thing. If you didn't have means, you were a shepherd still. And a shepherd in Jewish culture lived with the sheep. That's what it says in the passage, that they were out living in the fields. That the, the shepherds in first century Judaism Well, they were just still nomads. They were homeless wanderers. Their job was basically to corral sheep that were roaming outside with no pen. That was their job, to follow the sheep around and lead them to where there's food and water. So in Jewish culture, just like in Roman culture, shepherds were outsiders and low-class people. So with all of that in mind, this picture of what the world was like. Let's look again at verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds. Remember, these are low-class people, powerless outsiders, not worthy of people's time. Living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Good news, like the Roman heralds, good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. The angel comes as a herald to the lowest of the low in society, the ones who would be most negatively impacted by the Pax Romana. And says, good news, there's a new king, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the Lord. And with all the language that would have been used around the peace of Rome, that Caesar was the Savior, the Lord, that there's good news, the angel proclaims a new king and a new kingdom. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news that there's a new king. Jesus is the king. That's the gospel. The only reason we miss the significance of this story is because we don't understand the cultural things that are happening. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed not to the rich and powerful, not to those who would benefit like it would in the Pax Romana, but to the outsider, to the marginalized, to the low class and the powerless. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first recipients to the gospel of God are shepherds. The marginalized. And in case you might miss the shock of that, in case we might blow past that and miss the whole thing, the sign that the angel points out of this new king is that you will find this baby in a feeding trough wrapped in spare cloth 
Probably in Bethlehem, there was no other baby that night laying in a feeding trough. And you and I both know that kings are wrapped in something other than spare cloth and, and sleeping in much nicer conditions. Do you get what's happening here? Luke is trying to make clear that the gospel, the good news of a new king, has at its core the elevation of the poor and powerless outsider. Do you see that? Do you see that that's what this is? And in case we miss the parallel, Luke continues in verse 13, he says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, literally the heavenly armies, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So God's army shows up and makes a declaration of what's happening. Glory is being given to God in highest heaven. And on earth, peace has come to those whom God favors. Who is it that God favors? It's the recipients of the message that God favors the poor, the marginalized, the outsider, the powerless, the low class. These are the people who God favors. What Luke is saying is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is directly opposed to the Pax Romana, where the Pax Romana, easy for me to say, where the Pax Romana brought peace to some as it suppressed others. The gospel of Jesus brings peace to all as the outsiders and the marginalized are lifted up. This is the difference. As those who are cast down are lifted up, as those who are outsiders are included and the powerless receive justice, this is the peace that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not side programs that we pursue just in case we have time after we preach the gospel. You know, that's the critique that often comes to pastors as they go to share this portion of what the gospel is is that why don't you just stick to the gospel? Friends, this is the gospel. It's not part of it. It's the essence of the gospel that the powerless are lifted up. God, the gospel brings peace because the gospel elevates the powerless. And in case you're not convinced that that's Luke's point, I want to share some of the other examples through the gospel of Luke. What, chapter uh, 1, Mary, in what is called the Magnificat, and Jerry will preach on this next week, Mary says this about God. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And here's the key. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Or later in chapter 2 uh, in the temple, Simeon says this to Mary about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Then in chapter 4, Jesus himself is in the synagogue and he reads this passage of scripture from Isaiah and says, this is me. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to do what? to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. All these people are powerless. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel at its core involves lifting the powerless over and over and over through Luke's gospel. He makes sure to demonstrate that Jesus lifts up the marginalized because what he wants you to understand is that the gospel brings peace by elevating the powerless. Certainly this includes those who are powerless because of sin. Absolutely, but it goes so far beyond this. It's not just people who are powerless because of their own sin. It's people who are powerless because of the sin of others. The gospel deals with it all. As we find freedom in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's an invitation from God to participate in what he's doing around the world. We become those who seek to share with others the peace we have found. That's the mission. That's the way this works. You see, sharing the gospel isn't just speaking words. It's demonstrating the reality at the same time. We show and we tell. We tell people that the kingdom of God has come and we demonstrate its reality. Sometimes that means praying for healing and casting out demons. And certainly we try to train people to do those things. But lots of times what it means to demonstrate the kingdom is to intentionally look around for the marginalized, for the outsider, and to come alongside them with our resources and move them forward that we become people who lift others up. That's what it is to be kingdom people. As we continue in this Advent season to cry, how long, O Lord? May we be people who seek to highly value the outsider in order that they too may be included in the kingdom.